0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Satellites in the skies broadcasting lies To billions of people Camels on the streets tracking who we meet and call this liberty
2: Lifefulman radio show. I want to start out by telling everybody I hope they had a great Thanksgiving. I hope that you get to spend time with your families, your friends, your loved ones, and that you you actually uh celebrated it as a chance to give thanks. I'm not gonna try and force any religion down on your on your plates. But you should be using it as a chance to give thanks the fact that uh that you're here, you're alive, you're surrounded by your family and your loved ones, uh, that you live in uh even though it's taking a beating, uh the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And that for the most part, most of you guys are uh are participating in uh, the absolute best fundamentals of rifle programs in the United States as volunteer instructors, you're getting to meet and associate with the best people the uh, nation has to offer, and at the same time, you're getting to put your shoulder to the wheel and help push the mission forward, and by doing so, helping to safeguard the freedoms and liberties that living in this nation affords you. So, happy Thanksgiving to everyone, and uh, God bless and and keep everyone, and uh, we didn't have a show last week because it was Thanksgiving, and uh, I mentioned that on the radio, but then it was a show that was automatically loaded Just a blank show that was automatically loaded So if you guys uh, looked up the the show on Thursday And saw it there it was, uh, the, the the blank show that was sitting there I tried to listen to it I apologize for that <clears throat> uh, Sometimes I'll try and uh, load up some blank shows So that uh, the, the skeleton of the show is there And it will hold the place hold a place in line in time on that day. Sometimes blog talk gets really filled up with a lot of folks, and uh, there's been several times when they tried to deny me uh, the that time slot, uh, which they can't because I'm a premium member. You know, I paid for the, the spot. <clears throat> but with a show preloaded, then uh, usually I'll have a better chance of making sure that doesn't happen. <clears throat> All right, and then uh, I also want to make sure to remind you guys that the uh, the blog talk is a very finicky uh, platform, and the best way to uh, to run it is going to be. I uh, see the guys in chat talking about this. The best way to to run it is going to be running it on top of your Firefox. Download Firefox uh, and. Uh, Run it in Firefox, because that's see see that the least finicky uh system that uh that blog talk seems to to run on there's still they're, it'll still give you grief, but it seems to be the least finicky system for you to run the blog talk on <laughs> otherwise there's a lot of uh, uh there's a lot of stalling and freeze ups. And then uh, the other thing I'll tell you to make sure that you do is uh, uh make sure that you clean out your cookies and, and everything right before you uh, right before you come on if you're watching it now go ahead and clean up you clean out your cookies you can uh, uh function f five uh because uh, the blog talk system also seems to have some grief with uh, with other people's cookies but from what I understand, they run a bazillion of their own, but uh, I guess there's clashes with other folks' cookies. So uh, if you clean out your cookie cache function f5 and run yourself, uh, run the program on top of Firefox, then usually that's uh, usually that's the least problematic method. <clears throat> All right, we're going to start the show off tonight the what we usually do now is with uh you guys calling in to thank your local crew members who uh who are volunteering their time their effort their money uh their their supplies their rifles their ammunition everything in order to help push the uh the mission forward and Uh, I've mentioned it many times that at Appleseed we're really good at uh, at getting the last mile out of our volunteers, but uh, we're not quite so good at thanking them for their efforts. Uh, Appleseed is is one of those uh, programs that has uh, an actual mission. We're actually trying to... uh, to get something accomplished that uh, that has very serious implications for the nation, and uh, almost like in the military. You know, you never get you never get any thanks for doing your job. You only get thanks if you go up above and beyond, et cetera. Well, I want to thank everybody just for for showing up and doing their jobs at Apple Seeds, because there's always somewhere the folks could be other than Ed and Apple There's always something they could be doing other than showing up and instructing Ed and Apple Now, there's probably not too many things that are going to be as satisfying as that, but there's always something else they could be doing. So what I'd like you guys to do is uh, uh, is pick out one of the guys in your local crew and they give us a call here at the radio at 347-308-8790. 347-308-8790. And uh, and tell the folks thanks. Uh, I want to thank CMD, who's my co-host, because uh, it would be hard doing the show Without uh, Sam here every week helping me. And uh, and Sam is just uh, a damn fine fellow to boot and uh, has one of the best mustaches I've ever seen on a human being. So, Sam, thank you for being here every time I'm here. And like I said earlier in the chat, there's been several times when uh, you've been there uh, when I haven't been. He's showed up and he's been ready to work uh, uh, several times when I've been. Uh, Stuck out in the boonies, or stuck on the highway somewhere, and uh, he showed up uh, and been there ready to run the show, and I really appreciate that. He's a good man, uh, and I would like to you guys now to call in and give us your uh, thank your local crews at three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. Three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero, and give thanks to your local crew members because every one of you guys knows somebody who uh, who is doing a great job, and would certainly like to hear you thank them. All right. Uh, at the same time, if anyone has any uh, commercial ventures that they're uh, that they would like to share with their Appleseed brothers and sisters, would like to offer to them. And we give you, we'd like to offer you the chance to uh, to get that out on the air here too. That means that if you have some type of uh, business uh, that you're running, some type of product that you're selling, then we'd like for you to call in and uh, give us the information, and we'll get it out to your Appleseed brothers and sisters. Now we're not doing this, uh, we're not collect any fees for this blog talk. We're doing this uh, as a service to our fellow uh, uh, Appleseed brothers and sisters. Because if there's some product or some service that you need that you can get from an Appleseed brother or sister, then that's what we would like you to do. We'd like you to patronize them. <clears throat> and uh, you've heard me say it many times, but Blue Feather from Tyler squat. Of the instructors in uh, New Mexico, make some of the finest handmade soap uh, in this nation, and you can get it from them by going to uh, Blue Feather uh, Blue Feather Soaps. Just Google Blue Feather Soaps, and uh, I don't remember what the uh, the exact. Uh, oh, here Sam put it in Bluefeather.bizhosting.com. Com. All right, bluefeather.bizhosting.com. And uh, <clears throat> uh, and you can get some fine handmade soaps there, including shaving soaps. And uh, I believe Sam mentioned some kind of a, uh, a, a super-duper uh, crust-busting soap that they're putting out. And the soap is, is actually extremely... Uh, Good soap for using in winter because it's got a lot of uh, a lot of oils in it, a lot of essential oils and stuff, and uh, it will help your uh, skin, especially the skin in your hands, help it from cracking and busting up. <clears throat> and uh, I keep mentioning this that I keep trying to, to, to hint that I'm running low on the soap, <clears throat> and
0: uh, and it is winter
2: because uh, it helps my hands from cracking open. And if they crack open, and then I get uh, diesel oil or something into the cracks, and and that's going to last uh, weeks and weeks. You know, you get that kind of dirty-looking hand that you can never get clean because the uh, the diesel oil is actually sink down into the crack, down into the skin, almost like a tattoo ink, and uh, colored the skin. But you can avoid that by using these uh, these soaps that the Blue house Zawls block, block make, and at the same time, you're putting money in their pockets. That puts money that puts gas in their gas tanks, so they can get to an events and instruct at events. All right. Then uh, I'd like to uh, I'd like to thank. Uh, Jimmy at Desert Eagle Farms For the work he's doing With the uh, Christmas for our troops and I believe you can find that At christmastroopforourtroops.com And uh, if you remember A couple of weeks ago the uh, There was a group Of veterans that were being Honored And I believe the truck that they were on Pulled up onto a rotor track And got hit by a train and, uh, and several of them were killed, and uh, a, a good number of others injured. And I would like for you to continue to remember those folks in your prayers. All right. Uh, the uh, just the whole idea of that is still making me cringe. You know, you made it. Uh, you made it successfully. Uh, and and maybe you didn't make it quite so successfully because I believe some of them were wounded, Uh, but you made it home alive only to be killed uh, sitting on the back of a truck by a train at an event later to be honoring you. It's just uh, just a very, very terrible uh, proposition. Anyway, Jimmy... uh, like I said, is working with com. And that is the group that is putting together really great packages. I mean, I don't, I don't know of anybody that's doing as great a job and has many sponsors putting together really great packages, care packages to send to the troops. Now, we've discussed over and over how important this is, how important it is for the troops to get something for Christmas. And I don't care if they've got uh, if they've got $100,000 uh, walking around cash in their pockets. It doesn't matter. What matters is that they're they're getting something from a country, uh, from the country that they live in, that is sending them something that is, and yeah, maybe it's just razors and boar snakes and hops or oil or something and stuff like that. It Doesn't matter. But what matters is what it represents, and that is the fact that yeah, we 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 know. We remember that you're there. We remember that you're over there. We remember that you're over there. You're standing on the wall. And regardless of what you think about uh, about them being over there, all right, I'll tell you I'm not too happy about it, but, uh, but it doesn't matter. They're there, and we want them to know that we remember that they're there. We know that they're there, and we want to thank them for being there. It doesn't have to be there, it could be anywhere. We want to thank him for being wherever it is that we ask our men and women to go to stand guard, to stand watch, to stand on the wall for us. And Jimmy and his crew are putting together these packages. Now, I believe that if you have a uh, a loved one or a family member or just somebody that you know, that they're accepting names. You can send them the name and uh, and the address and stuff for the folks, and they will put together a package and send it to them. At the same time, Jimmy uh, also provides long-term storable food under the handle of Desert Eagle Farms. And he is a uh, a uh, distributor for the Dot Master. Remember I told you about that. That's the... Uh, uh, it's a little uh, slide rule card that will help you to estimate range correctly and uh, even help you to estimate uh, bullet uh, drop compensation for shooting uphill or downhill. Uh, very light, very cheap. It's uh, uh, 700 times less expensive than some of the, uh, the good laser range fighters and just about uh, just about as accurate once you know how to use it. So if you need any of those products, you can contact uh, Jimmy at uh, Desert Eagle Farms. Let's see. He has – it's Jimmy at hdc-nm.com. Jimmy at hdc-nm.com. And that's for the Miltime Master. Okay? I believe it's only 10 bucks and uh <clears throat> and he's shipping it to apple C folks uh at uh, no charge right free shipping so you're going to get a good deal on that and uh uh let's see
3: and then uh, if there's
2: anybody else that would like to uh that would like to get their information out, uh we'll be glad to take it you can just uh send me an email uh, r w v a Rangescout at gmail dot com. RWVA Romeo Whiskey Victor Alpha Range Scout at gmail dot com. And uh, we'll have to get the information out there to you <clears throat> for the folks on here. Uh <clears throat> uh all right, and then uh last but not least we've got uh the apple seeds here in Davila, being sponsored by battle road usa.com by battle road usa.com that's the company that uh Alonso, one and myself uh, uh started up and uh battle road usa is a uh, self-defense uh shooting company we have uh we have a very special philosophy that's usually different than in most other uh, shooting companies. We're we're not trying to teach you to be an operator. We're not trying to teach you to work in teams or pairs. We're trying to teach you as an individual how to uh, how to survive real life, uh, real world scenarios. That uh, involve violence and weapons and gunplay,
0: <clears throat> and
2: uh, we're going to do our best to ensure, to to see that you are as prepared as we can get you for that. Now that being said, and uh, there, we have an event that we have coming up that uh, that really is not uh, is not part of the. Uh, uh, the individual, I guess you could call it that, because it's going to be run at an individual thing. It's a, it's something that we've we've really never done before, and that is uh, a uh, a zombie destruction run, and uh, that's where we have uh, about uh, three miles of uh, looping course, and we're going to have, uh, I'll say, uh, three rifle and four pistol stations some obstacles you're going to have to negotiate, uh, a lot of shooting you're going to have to be doing. You're going to be carrying uh, like a full basic combat load uh, with you on the run. You're going to have to uh, to uh, shoot both pistol and rifle. <clears throat> and uh, there's a little bit of a zombie theme to it. That's why we call it the zombie destruction run. I just popped the... The address for the blog site uh, into the chat room, but you can get you can find out all the information by going to uh, the battleroadusa.com website. All right, and uh, and you can see uh, we actually made up a uh, a video. This is uh, uh, Alonzo one and myself invested in a, uh, in a video camera and. Uh, <laughs> and you can see our, uh, you can you can go and see our first efforts at trying to uh, film something and uh, and edit it and uh, and add music to it and stuff like that uh, by going to battleroadusa.com. And if you go, uh, we've we've opened up the Battle Road USA. Uh, YouTube channel. You can subscribe to the channel and get the video. So we're we'll going to be putting out more videos uh as we go along. Videos for the zombie destruction run and uh, videos for the uh shooting company. Alright? So you can go to the uh uh to YouTube and uh, subscribe to the Battle Road USA YouTube channel. <coughs> and uh on February the twenty third 2013 we'll be getting everybody together i imagine we're gonna have uh well over 100 people uh we'll be meeting up here in order to uh to do the run uh the and you can go to battle road usa right now right now and start uh, pre-registering for it And we we've got to close it off at uh at a certain number i believe mark's got it set at like a hundred or so folks so that uh so that we can keep it to a uh, you know a manageable number of folks, but all of the Texas appleseed folks are going to be there, the Oklahoma appleseed folks, uh, Louisiana appleseed folks, uh, and uh, we'd like to have uh, like to have folks from everywhere showing up for this. It's a one day Saturday, uh, February 23rd, 2013. Now we'll, we're going to need some range officers to help. Run the event, because uh, with as many stations as we have and the distances and stuff like that, we're gonna need some extra folks to help us run it. so we're going to need about uh, uh probably at least two dozen folks to help run the event and uh if you want to if you want to do that, then what we'll do is we'll uh we'll let you run the event for free. you'll run the event for free on Friday the day before. And then, uh, and then on Saturday, you'll uh, pay your way by working the stations. You know, you'll be sitting. There'll be folks at each of the stations. You'll be timing the people when they come in, checking, make sure they've got uh, safe uh, rifles, timing their seating stages, uh, stuff like that. And uh, that's the way that you'll you'll pay for your run. We'll need about 24, 25 folks like that. And if you want to do that, you can uh, send an email to Mark. Send it to Mark at battleroadusa.com. Mark at battleroadusa.com, and uh, and he will put you on the list as the ROs. Okay, for the ROs, uh, you'll get a meal and a T-shirt with this, and. Uh, uh, and I think it's going to be a great event. We're hoping that to have. Uh, we're looking for sponsors. We'd like to have some good sponsors so that we can have some good swag to give away. Uh, and uh, we certainly would encourage people that are coming to bring uh, trade gear so that they can, uh, you know, they can trade their their stuff out here if they want to try and sell a rifle or something that here. As far as as long as everything that they're doing is legal, then then we're all for it. Going to bring rifles or ammunition or other gear and stuff, and uh, and try and sell it or trade it while you're here with other folks. We'll encourage uh, everybody to do that so that uh, you know, they can get a chance to trade out uh, their gear or buy some other swag while they're here. Uh, <clears throat> I'm sure there's something I missed, but uh, I'll talk about it again near the end. Remember, if you want to, uh, if you want to RO, contact uh, Mark at BattleRoadUSA.com, and you get on the list for the ROs. Well like I said we'll need about two dozen of those. And uh, the course of fire and uh, the videos and stuff like that uh, that we made are at BattleRoadUSA.com. It's gonna be a heavy uh it's gonna be a heavy course of fire because uh it's gonna be a lot of ammunition and uh we wanted to do that because the, the run is only gonna be about three miles. And So instead of uh, instead of having you run seven miles like out of Pecos and have just a few things to shoot we're going to make you uh, uh, have uh, seven areas to shoot at and with a lot of shooting. So I believe I, I haven't looked at the course of fire games because I know he's revised it. Well, it's going to be a uh, about 180 rounds of rifle and about 200 rounds of pistol. And that is that's if you fire if every round you fire hits the mark that you're supposed to hit right that's why i said it's gonna cut you're gonna be carrying close to a basic combat load, which is about two hundred and forty rounds of a uh, rifle you're gonna be carrying that which ends up pretty heavy and then whatever else you're carrying water or whatever other gear you want to carry with you on the run and uh, uh and it's gonna be a uh it's gonna be a pretty sh- shooting intensive event, which is what we wanted i mean i I'm all for uh I'm all for shooting white I know that there were a couple of folks that uh, on the last uh, event that we went to that uh, they carried just the, the least amount of rounds. I believe there was. I saw people at the Paco's run that had a uh, pistol with one magazine and a rifle with two magazines, and that's all they ran with, and that's all they needed, which is great. And uh, they did it successfully. But uh, we're going we're gonna to make you carry a lot more than that, uh, even if you are completely successful here. So check out BattleRoadUSA.com, and then uh, – uh and then check uh the Battle Road YouTube channel and subscribe to the channel if you uh and, and make comments and stuff. Remember don't don't tell me how much I suck at being a uh a, a video videographer, editor, etcetera or whatever because I just started. I know I'm I know I suck, but this is my first uh, attempt at it and uh and it seems like it went uh you know not too bad. All right. Okay. Uh let's uh let me see, we've got uh we've got several folks on the phones now, but what I want to do is I want to get started with uh Kim and Jim Heath from Colorado. Remember me uh two weeks ago when we talked last we were talking about uh Michael Bain from Downrange T V.
0: I uh, was going to be going to
2: the, uh, uh, event in Colorado and filming it for the Outdoor Channel. And, uh, and he in fact did go and he did film it. And, uh, and we've got, uh, Kim and Jim here on the line to tell us how it went. Uh, Kim, Jim, yes. Keith from Colorado Instructors Extraordinaire, welcome to the show. Hi Thank you. Yeah. Good to be here. <laughs> well, you guys, thanks for calling in. I know I made you guys wait for a little while, but uh, uh, I appreciate you hanging in there. And uh, we'd like for you to, to give us a rundown on how it went. Now, I've, I've had a couple of folks ask about uh, the uh, after action reports. Did you guys uh, – I didn't see if there was one filed or not. Did you guys already file the after action for it? Well, what we were doing
4: is we were waiting to to talk with you tonight before we went ahead and uh, and gave all the information. We wanted it to, to be fresh okay. on your your show.
2: Actually, that's, okay. that's not what true. That's I They were um, asking sorry. earlier in the chat room, and I, I told him, I said, I, I believe that he's just waiting until he comes on the show and talks about it tonight. So, whoever's uh, whoever whoever's going to get started, Jim and Kim, you got to give us a rundown on how everything went. Scout, I'm
4: just lying to you. Um, I just procrastinated and didn't put the
3: K-A-R <laughs> for the after action reports up the
4: Africa
3: Well. If, if somebody wants to
2: read them, 'em I'll get some up. How's that? <laughs> well listen just actually, tell us it's about
0: not, it. I was gonna say actually it's not quite over yet because we still have another day tomorrow. They're going to film another the, day in, Yeah, they're going to film the inside portions of the show tomorrow at a studio in Denver. And Michael Bain invited all the instructors and all the students from the shoot to go. So we still have another experience ahead of us tomorrow.
2: Perfect. He said he was going to do that. I wasn't sure how he was going to do it, but he said he was going to uh, that he was going to to film the additional, the excerpts and stuff like that for it. And then uh, when when he and I spoke about this initially, we were talking about he was talking about. Running maybe possibly two episodes, but I haven't talked to him since the film, and You guys have, so just go ahead and give us a rundown of how the event went and uh, and what you thought about it, and how it was working with a uh, a film crew and with Mr. Bain. Sure. Well, let's see. Uh,
4: we did a lot of real special things for him that uh, we may not normally do. At an apple seed cuz we wanted it to be good. So we did things like uh showed the steady hold factors for prone and sitting and standing. Also we went into good detail on the doing the six steps of firing and a you're shot
2: cuz we yeah. don't ever do that here anymore.
4: I know. That's that's <laughs> what we thought is we would go out of our way to put on uh give them the information we normally don't give
2: folks. Um, <laughs> Yeah, talk I did that for a him. couple of years, man. And uh Putin's uh, up a lot of time. Right as I do. You know, <laughs> it gets in the way of shooting A Q T. And so Well uh, I know that uh, when we are talking with you, talking with Michael, that uh that we'd all pretty much come to the agreement that it was gonna be an apple seed and weren't gonna jack with it because uh because of the fact that there were people that were gonna be there that had paid good money for their event, they didn't pay to be in a in a film. They paid to go to an apple seed, and that's what he wanted to film. That's what he wanted to pro- portray an actual apple seed. So I know that you guys were uh, were planning on running it uh, just regular. How was Michael to work with? I, mean, I tell you, he's a great guy. I love speaking with him. Uh, I'm I'm sad that I got a chance that I didn't get a chance to work with him. But how was he to work with? He was great to work with. Very down-to-earth
4: guy, Um, not full of himself like some folks that I've worked with, just wanting to learn, uh, wanting to do what we asked the students to do. He tried everything that we talked about. He uh, just participated just like he was any other student. And the film crew was also great. They stayed out of our way. Before they would do most things, they would ask if it was all right if they uh, if they did whatever it was they were wanting to do. And by about uh, five minutes into it, I don't think any of the students noticed or paid attention that there was a film crew there, and it just went like any other apple seed shoot.
2: Well, that's that's what I expected. I'm glad that it worked out that way. Now he did say he was going to. Uh... To try to try and get some additional footage, maybe talking to the instructors back behind the line stuff like that. Did uh, did they uh, did they get footage of the three strikes and uh, and everything else like that? They got footage of everything that we did.
4: They had three camera crews there, and I think uh, except for a short while, at least one of them was filming the entire time. They did take uh, students and instructors off to the side and do little interviews with them, and uh, uh, mostly, you know, for the instructors, at least, what they asked me was, you know, what, why are you an instructor? What do you, what do you see as Appleseed's mission? Um, things like that.
2: Um, how did you get started with Appleseed? Well, that's good. And what about the weather? Because I know that uh, we're looking at. Uh uh, that I think on paper and uh, the forecast, it said that the weather looked like it was going to be good. But of course, you know it's winter in Colorado, so I was uh, I was apprehensive. And I know you guys told me that it was good weather, but uh, the weather turned out to be okay. Then, right?
0: It was cool in the mornings, um, but not overly so. And then the day would heat up to about sixty degrees, so it was gorgeous. We couldn't have asked oh, for more in November.
4: Right, and. Uh, the nice thing about it was that there was no wind until Sunday afternoon when we started doing the full distance shooting and then it kicked up to about uh, oh by Fred's simple wind rule, somewhere around ten miles an hour. And so we got to play
2: in that for a while. <laughs> well good. Because if it's not windy, then what then what's the point in shooting in it, you know?
4: That's right. If there's and no wind,
2: a, what's the point? It was a fairly steady coming from uh uh,
4: three o'clock. Excuse me, from uh, nine o'clock somewhere to about eleven o'clock. So they got to play with the switching wind too.
2: Okay. Did you guys have flags uh, all the way down to the targets, or just uh, at that we were? Would... Uh... No flags take effort. <laughs> <just> felt felt <laughs> it blowing in your face and judged it from there. There you go. That's uh, that's all you need. You just need uh, a handful of leaves and Fred's simple wind uh, formula. And uh, you're good to go. Uh, did he give you any kind of an idea on uh, when this was going to end up running and how it was going to run, anything like that?
0: He said it would be about mid March. We don't know if it'll be one or two episodes, but mid March is.
2: Okay. He was to Going. He
4: didn't think he could get. Uh, everything and and do justice in one episode. So they're considering doing two.
2: Well, that's what we talked about because uh, the, each of the shows that he does for the, for this particular, uh, for this particular project that he's running is each of the, each of the shows is a unique and individual type show. And, uh, uh, and like you, like you, we were just saying that it was, it was going to be hard to explain what we do and show what we do because at the same time, it, it's not. It shouldn't just be a show about what we do. It should be a show that actually tells and shows people some of the stuff, some of the techniques and skills that we try and teach people, so that they can that they can actually learn some of it by watching. Uh, Watching this episode, so uh, um, we, like I said, uh, we, we don't know, want you know, that. <laughs> if he did that, we, they wouldn't have to come to an apple seed. So I'd <laughs> be wrong. Well, well, uh, there uh, there's no substitute for coming to an apple seed. Uh, you know, if you you can, uh, uh, I've known plenty of people who bought uh, uh, Fred's guide to becoming a rifleman and uh, used that as their textbook to teach themselves to shoot the rifleman standards and they said it was a much longer and uh, rougher road to hoe than uh, than coming to an appleseed event. So there's no substitute for coming to an appleseed. I don't care what it is, if it's you know T V or the Fred's guy to becoming a rifleman, etc., it doesn't matter. There's no substitute for attending an appleseed uh, two day rifle marketship weekend and there's certainly no substitute for meeting the folks uh, that you're gonna meet when you come to the events. Meeting the instructors, meeting the uh the other folks uh who have decided to get off their couches and actually go and do something uh with their with their weekend. They've set themselves a goal of uh, improving their rifle marksmanship. They've showed up uh they've they've got off their couch, got out of their bed, dumped their remote control, uh, limited themselves to however many cups of coffee they could get before they had to leave to get on the line, and uh, and then they spent the two wonderful days, two glorious days, at an appleseed event, learning not just how to master the fundamentals of rifle marksmanship, but also getting a uh, a good understanding of what it means to be an American, what it means to uh, to understand that you have a sacred responsibility for safeguarding the rights and freedoms that uh, uh, that we uh, that we get for living in this nation, and uh, there's no other way to no other other way to get that than by attending an event. Uh, did he mention uh, Did he mention if there was anything else further he was going to do besides the? Uh, there's something that he did at the event and the stuff that you guys are going to do this weekend.
4: I didn't hear anything from him about that.
0: He just said that he was going to do as much as he could for apple seed with this and it would be good.
2: Yeah. But no yeah. no, and no details and beyond that. Right. He's, and he's a man of his word. You know, he, uh, <clears throat> he was one of the first folks, uh, to give us any kind of airtime or anything, you know, back years ago, right when we first started. I think back either in 2007, uh, I did a, a interview with him on his radio show, and uh, and it was really great to work with. And of course, we spent about two hours on the phone before the interview, and then probably an hour afterwards. And uh, he also has offered us uh, the use of uh, of our own channel there. At, uh, at, on his uh, online program on uh, uh, Downrange TV, and uh, we have the use of our, our, we have the ability to to host our own channel there. So that's something that I think uh, we should really be looking into because uh, is uh, everything that he's been doing, that Mr. Payne has been doing, has uh, turned out really great. As a matter of fact, I've asked him to come on the radio show uh, in the next month or so to speak about that because. Uh, I know that he's very happy with the way things have gone because he's getting to do exactly exactly what he wants to do. Uh, that's what all of us would like to do. I can't imagine very many of us who wouldn't like to do something uh, like what he's doing, which is to, uh, to get a chance to travel around and go to different shooting events, to shoot uh, lots of different firearms, to meet the different people in the shooting industry and stuff like that. And uh, so he's going to come on the show and talk to us about that. Uh, Did you guys have to uh, sign any uh, confidentiality forms uh, about releasing his AQT scores? (laughs) No, we did not have to do that.
4: Um, Let me tell you a little, when he came, he uh, listened to all our instruction. He did not use a sling of the, the web sling, the loop sling like we use it and was quite impressed with that. I'll just tell you that uh, he had to work hard, and uh, his first AQT, he did not shoot a rifleman score. Um, so I'll go that far.
2: Well, uh, that's you the age for about 99.9999% of folks who attend an event Uh mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you very seldom will see somebody. And, and of course, I, I don't know. I usually always know when it's coming because, you know, you spent uh, several hours hours already working with the folks and watching them uh, uh, going through the, the six steps and NPOA, stuff like that, and shooting, you know, zeroing their rifles. So you almost always know when it's coming. But uh, very seldom do you get somebody on their first AQT that burns it. Uh, you go. You also get a good uh, indication when you check the red coats. You know the first red coats on Saturday morning, and you get to, to the uh, who uh, who have all three in, in the red at four hundred and the headshot, and, uh, and that person raises their hand. and You got a good indication that that person may well indeed uh, uh, H their first EQT. But very seldom is that the case. And uh, you know, I've gone through. These' literally thousands now of attendees, and uh, and and the that's one of the the, the one of the biggest uh, I don't know what you would call it. One of the biggest realizations that I had uh, is that for the most part, the folks that show up, even if they think. That they are good shooters, even if they put on their uh, uh, their application that they they think that they are good shooters,
0: the majority
2: of uh, firearms uh, owners who show up at events uh, do not shoot past one hundred meters. Well,
4: when Michael got there, his uh, rifles were not he had. Uh, uh, Two rifles he wanted to use. One, he, I think he couldn't get to function correctly, and the rifle he did end up using wasn't sighted in, so he had to work with that. Um, and he knew. He said, I tried to get it sighted in before I came here, but I ran out of time. And we've we've heard that many times before. Uh, yeah, well, I told him, I I will... said, don't
2: worry about it. I said, well, that's the whole point of going. I said, you know, we don't, you don't have to. You can show up with a, a rifle, and we'll help you get it out of the box. And it will help you unwrap it out of the box and wipe off the cosmoline if need be. So you don't you don't nobody has to get uh ready or get prepared uh, or practice for a uh, for an apple seed. You know, you can show up uh, uh with knowing nothing and, and having a brand new rifle and uh, and we will take you the rest of the way.
4: Yep. I will tell you, you asked how he uh if he shot a rifleman score his on his first AQ two he did do a a 182 and uh which is pretty good for uh, the first try at uh yeah. what we were having them do
2: well that's great and
4: uh,
2: uh well, I just so uh, I just lost what I was getting ready to say uh I was jacking around here now looking at uh, uh looking at some of the <laughs> uh at the the Rifleman radio show, you know, I I created a blog for it. All right, so that some of this stuff could be followed along on the blog. And I've just written a uh a uh actually I rewrote this, a uh, uh a post on that and it was a uh, titled Not Where I Wanna Be Yet because uh that is one of the uh common uh one of the common reasons I get from folks for not uh, wanting to go to an apple seat, right at that moment anyway. And that's because they will say, look, I, I'd like to go, but I'm really not where I want to be yet. You know, I'm trying to get my skills up and everything like that, and I'm, I'm really not where I want to be yet to, to attend. And I always tell them, I well, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Uh, the whole point of you coming to an apple seat is so that we can give you the skills and techniques that uh, that you need that you're missing, or you know fill in the blanks for you, and to to help you develop the the fundamentals of rifle marketingship, and you're going to do that at the event. You don't have to you don't have to get practiced or rehearsed before you come, and uh, so, you know we provide the the whole package for you. So. Uh, like I said, I, I hear that a lot from folks or the folks saying, look, I want I wanted to sight my rifle in before I got here. I just didn't have a chance. I always tell them, no sweat, man, don't worry about it, because that's how we start the show off. You know, we started off with zeroing your rifle, teaching you how to zero your rifle correctly. You know, teaching you how to, to zero it correctly, teaching you how to understand uh, the, the reasons that there are knobs and stuff or uh, clicks on the sights uh, and how to use those. So so we're going to start you off right at uh, right at a baseline level and bring you up. Like it's not not the base as far as a basic course because this isn't a basic course, not a baby course. It's a uh, it's a full fledged fundamentals course. And uh, uh, so I always tell folks, don't don't give me that I'm not where I want to be yet. Just uh, jump in the car and come on out. Yep, and the. Uh... Uh, Another thing about the
4: the shoot that Michael Baines went to is the film crew are all shooters. Um, They were saying it's one of the few shooting shows where everybody on the crew uh, has shooting experience. And uh, I talked with uh, several of them, the the producer and a couple others about uh, some of the shoots and other things, other um, shows that they had done. And, They had a couple of things to to compare Appleseed to those shows. They said, for one, we're very, very safe, and they never were concerned about anything as far as safety. The other thing was that uh, they all want to come to an Appleseed now. We gave them free shoot certificates so they can come at their convenience, but uh, the producer wanted, uh, in particular wanted to come to an Appleseed. Part of the afternoon on Sunday – he got down on the ground with uh, Michael Bain's rifle, and also he shot some some high power and as I was standing over and watching him, he was saying to himself, "Left uh, support elbow under the rifle, triggered knee up, adjust natural point of aim <laughs> so even though he was shooting he was uh, filming, he was listening to everything we were saying and taking it in and uh he did pretty well he 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 said that some of the stuff he had heard before, but didn't understand until he saw what we were doing. He thought he understood it, but it never came together for him. He said that there were some things that he had never heard. Um, I think one in particular was uh, uh, squeezing the trigger at the bottom of the breath during the respiratory pause. And after, uh, when I do the uh, six steps, I talk about the reason for the respiratory, uh, uh, firing at the respiratory pause. And he had never heard that. And he uh, uh, took that into, a, into his shooting style and improved. He said quite a bit from what he had been shooting before, just listening to what we were telling
2: at the Appleseed. Right. Well, that's that's why I try and explain to folks about why they should come because it really doesn't uh, it really doesn't matter your skill level. Because I uh, like I told this story before many times that, uh, at uh the first RBC I went to back in uh, two thousand seven, one of the guys that was at the RBC with me was um uh, VA shooter, Doug uh from over in Virginia. And he'd been shooting competitively uh for uh, uh for the uh uh for the Navy, uh and he'd been shooting competitively and, and all together shooting for forty five years. <clears throat> And he still learned a great deal at the RBC. And, of course, he said the same thing that most people say once they get through with it, and it's like, man, I wish I would have started off my shooting uh, path with this course because uh, there's plenty of stuff that you hear. You know, that, that you know, with even if you've been shooting for years and years, You'll hear people talking about different things, uh, about respiratory pause and things like that, uh, but nobody ever really gives a good explanation for it, or, or very few people do, because very few people really understand it, and
3: uh, and you get it
2: all in one package at an apple seed. And then you mentioned uh, about the safety, and that's one of the things I I, I think that a lot of people don't Uh that we don't hammer on that enough, and we don't explain that enough is that we get we give folks who attend an event we give them two days uh we give them a a rock solid foundation in rifle safety uh because they get two days of rifle safety and we are i I've, I've been to uh the civil now and and there is nobody that that pays attention to safety like we do. That runs as safe a program as we do. There's just there's nobody. Now I have heard people uh, say the opposite, which is uh, it's too safe. But I don't know if you could. If I don't know if you can make that statement. You know, it's like too alive or too dead. Uh, you know, you you can't be too safe and I think we do a great job of that. I think that whenever you have anyone, but especially the kids that come to kids and people who haven't handled firearms before, it, once that they've had, they've experienced two days of this, and they get a good rock-solid foundation in rifle safety, then that's going to travel with them the rest of their life. It's the same thing as the uh, the fundamentals will. So will the rifle safety. Uh, there, there is no substitute for having a person who's handling a firearm understand that you always keep the muzzle in a safe direction. There, there is no substitute for that. And I think that's one, if, if you, of uh, all the safety rules, uh, if you ask anybody to go to an event, I think that's the most likely safety rule they're going to be able to give back to you because even though there's only four of them, we give people so much information that a lot of times a lot of it flows out the other side of their, their ear. Uh but usually, they can give that one to you, and that's good because that's the most important one. If you always keep the muzzle in a safe direction, then the chances of something uh something bad happening are are greatly reduced uh, that's never eliminated, but it's greatly reduced so talking I think the fact the, that we have such a fantastic safety program is something that we don't we, we don't hammer on enough talking
4: with the film crew. Um, at the time, they were saying that they felt absolutely safe and never saw any safety uh, problems at all. Um, they said they were at one; uh, they were filming one episode, and the fellow in the next one of the fellows in the next berm shot himself in the leg. And at another shoot where they were, it was a competition that they were filming, and uh, not long into it, they decided it was not safe and they stopped filming and left because. They were getting muzzle sweeps, and they were getting people not handling their firearms well. And this was a, a nationally known—I won't give the name of it—nationally known competition. Uh, and so they were—they were very happy that
2: they didn't have those worries at our shoot. Absolutely, and and we do have uh, nothing's foolproof, nothing is uh, nothing is ever guaranteed, but we have. Uh, a really great record, and
0: uh, and I hear the
2: same thing from the uh, majority of folks that attend. They say, "Look, I I was never worried." There, a lot of times people will come and they'll tell me afterwards. They'll say, "You know, especially brand new shooters, uh, and usually mostly women, and not because uh, not because women are scared or anything, because women are much more likely to just just say what they." what they mean rather than a guy would. But, uh, the woman has, has told me many times before. they say, look, I, I was a little bit apprehensive about coming because it's guns and stuff. And I'm, you know, and I've always been uh, apprehensive around firearms, et cetera. But because of the, because of the, uh, the safety procedures that were in effect there at the event, they said, you know, I would never at any time was I fearful. And, uh, and that allowed them to relax a great deal, and a lot of the apprehension that they had to to uh, be relieved, and they could concentrate on shooting because they were they weren't worried about it. We weren't running uh, a crazy uh, Yahoo line, and uh, and we just have a really uh, uh, you know a pretty fantastic safety program and. Uh, I try and, and mention that whenever I'm talking about the, uh, about Appleseed, because that it like I said, that's something that we don't talk about enough, I think, because, it, because it's, uh, we all take it for granted. I mean, I, I don't mean we take safety for granted. I mean, just, we just take for granted that we're going to do that. We're going to run a safe uh, event. We're going to run a safe, rifle event. And, uh, all our instructors have that drummed into them, so we just take it for granted that we're going to do that. And I, I think that a lot of folks take it for granted that all of the other firearms uh, instructional programs in the nation are the same way. But listen, they're not. Like you said, there there are people that shoot themselves. There are people there. There are plenty of unsafe things that happen. Muzzle sweep. I'm not saying that it that can't happen at at, at an apple seed. You know, every once in a while, you get somebody who'll sweep somebody or something like that, but but we we have taken such great steps to try and prevent it that the occurrences uh, you know are a lot less likely. And he, I believe that he and I did talk about that because uh, that was one of the things that I was telling him. It's one of the things I tell him in the, in the first interview, but. I was telling him about it. I said, look, I said, we run a very safe event. I said, uh, uh, I'm sure that, uh, that Jim and the crew will be willing to work with you and stuff, but this is when I was going through the uh, what we would do and not do and stuff. I said, but, uh, you know, we're going to we're going to have to run the event the same way we would run it, whether you were there or not. That means uh, we can't do anything that would violate any of our safety rules or anything like that. And he goes, well, absolutely not. He said that uh, he and the crew had been on shoots before, uh, film shoots at a shoot, where they were apprehensive about their safety. Uh, because I was joking with him about, uh, said, do your cameramen wear uh, body armor? And uh, he said, there have been a couple of times that we have, we put it on. Uh, but uh, but uh, that's one of the things I extolled was the safety program that we have and he's very happy about that and he said he knew that his crew would be too. Yep, there was one one instance
4: where uh, one of the cameramen had set a camera on the ground uh, maybe eight inches in front of the firing line and the cameraman went to retrieve it and one of the instructors he, he, was, he was on the uh, safe side of the firing line and uh, but students were in prep, the preparation period, and handling the rifles. And one of the, he went to retrieve his cameras, and one of the instructors stopped him and told him he couldn't. And he apologized and uh, agreed that he shouldn't do that. And so they were, they were all real good. But we didn't treat them any differently than uh, anybody else that would ever be on our line. And I think they appreciated that too, that we were, uh, we were looking out for him as much as everyone else.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Go ahead, Michael, go down and get the target. Go ahead. Uh we'll have we'll just have the people shooting to the left and right of you. I'll tell them to shoot at least a foot away from you. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure that they did appreciate that. And any other stuff that uh any other highlights or uh any outtakes or anything? Well, I don't
4: know. We let them, uh when we shot out at uh, full distance, we had targets had steel out at uh, 500 yards. Actually, it was 535 or whatever the uh, the silhouette distance is because we are on a silhouette range. Um, they got to do everything that anybody could do at an Appleseed. And uh, just had a, as near as I can tell, just a grand time. Michael, um, in one of his cutaway shots, because they're filming him most of the time, as he's coming back from the target uh, line, I think it was with his first AQT, he said something to the effect, well, that's not the hardest thing I've done, but it's pretty darn close. And uh, so so he found that what we do, the game that we play, is it's absolutely doable. But even if you know how how to handle firearms and how to shoot, that it takes some skill to do what we ask all of our
2: students to do. Well, before I went to an apple seed, before I before I started shooting with apple seed, uh, I was really naive as far as uh, the skills and abilities of folks and folks like that, and, and what it what it took to shoot uh, down to four minutes of ang- four minutes of arc, or, or even sub minute of arc shooting. <laughs> and uh, I would have people. Uh, I'm not talking about uh, CMT people. We're just talking about uh, you know Yahoos in the in the neighborhood, saying, "Oh yeah, you know me and my daddy, we would get a playing card and we would set it up on a tree, 500 yards out, and we would put 10 rounds into that baby." And uh, that's impressive. I just thought, yeah, you know, I just thought, wow, oh, that's pretty good. I don't think I could do that, uh, but I didn't really understand, you know, what uh, the amount of skill it would take to do that. Now, now after uh, you know, after shooting uh, with the program for uh, how long it's been now, six years, uh, I understand that most of the stuff that I hear from that, like that from folks is just uh, malarkey. Uh, I'm sure that it's uh, – they're gauging their distances the same way that they're telling me that they make their deer shots and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, I can shoot a deer out to 600 yards and uh, stuff like that. They may think that they can, but normally their their shots on deer and stuff like that are not over, like, 70 meters and uh, and I don't think that they understand the what it takes to shoot down to four minutes of arc, which is it's not uh, it's not that precise a standard, you know, because we're asking people to do this with rag grade rifles, surplus ammunition, and iron sights, and it's doable with that. And uh, but most folks don't understand that a four minute of arc standard. Uh, that it's requiring you to put uh, ten rounds into a postage stamp at uh, eighty-four feet. Uh, they still don't. They're, they're still not wrapping their minds around that. They're thinking eighty-four feet or, or twenty-five meters. You know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's going to be easy. There's, there's nothing to it. Twenty-five meters. I could hit a deer with my eyes closed like that. Matter of fact, I think I have shot deer like that with my eyes closed after about a six-pack. And uh, and maybe they did, but you know the deer was uh, the deer was about eighty to a hundred minutes of arc uh, wide at their target point, and uh, uh, it wasn't that hard to hit. And uh, we're asking folks uh, to use the skills and techniques that uh, that we instruct them in to be able to control their shots. And to to keep their shots within a four minute of arc uh, standard, and that is difficult. I'm sure that Michael did say that. I'm sure he said. I'm sure that when uh, when he got through with the A T T, or at least when he got through stage four, he was thinking, "Hmm, man, that's, uh, that's a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be." Because that's what most people tell you. You know, when they get through with stage with the hey, the first E C C, they're going, "Hmm, man, that's a." Uh, that's a lot different than I thought it was going to be. When Before Michael shot that AQT,
4: um, we were still shooting our one-inch squares. And he was oh low right, if I remember correct, by about eight minute of angle low and six, um, six to the right, something like that. And so I was talking to him about making a sight adjustment. And he says to me, well, I don't make sight adjustments on the line. I'm afraid to. And so I ridiculed him. I, I really gave him a hard time about that. Like, well, if you don't do it on the line, where do you make your, your sight adjustments? And he was really hesitant to, once his, his rifle was what he thought was sighted in, he was real hesitant to make adjustments to his sight. And so we worked through that and, and got him, you know, if, if your sights are off, you need to know how to adjust them, and that's of course at an apple feed. That's one of the things we talk about and how to do it predictably. But uh, again, even though he had heard of how to do that, he was not comfortable adjusting. He had a scope. Um, he wasn't adjustable, uh comfortable adjusting his scope to bring his sights uh, onto target. And so after ribbing him and giving him a hard time about it, he finally worked through that and and brought his point of aim right where it uh, his point of impact right where it belonged. But A lot of folks will have uh, an issue like that where they're, you know, I I don't know how to adjust my sights, so I'm just going to hold off or I'm not even going to, you know, use my sights or something like that. He wasn't that bad, but uh, he was not, you know, uh, adjusting sights was not something that even though he had been shooting for I don't know how many years, 30, 40 years, I don't know how many years he's been shooting, um, we got him comfortable with how do you adjust your sights and how do you do it
2: predictably. Right, and that's the majority of folks. Once again, that's the majority of folks that that have that same uh, hesitation because for most folks, those knobs and those clicks and stuff, that's all voodoo. It's black magic. You don't mess with that. You never adjust your sights. You shoot uh, at a paper target, and you find that you're shooting an inch low and to the left, and so you always aim an inch high and to the right whenever you're shooting at something. You don't ever mess with the sights because that's 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 voodoo. It's black magic. You get burned at the stake for that. So nobody will. Uh, nobody wants to do that. And that's one of. I have a hard time getting folks to get past that. Their apprehension for that a lot of times. I tell them. I go, look. There's nothing's gonna. Nothing's gonna happen. It's not gonna break your scope, and it's it's not. Uh, it's not gonna ruin your rifle. That if you're. If and the other thing I tell folks is is uh, when you get ready to make adjustments or anything on your scope don't ever do it without a pencil on paper there uh, because you always want to leave a little you know crumb bread crumb trail to wherever you're going so you can get back if i'm going to make an adjustment on my scope i write down what i'm about to do to it that way if it's too much or too little i don't have to try and figure out what i just did or or what i didn't do etc now i probably don't do that as much anymore now because uh, unless I'm unless I'm shooting a new firearm, actual distance or something, I usually don't do it as much anymore, because I've always start I only start off at 25 meter and I always have the thing so close that it usually requires very little uh, adjustments. You know, whenever I get out uh, uh, to actual distance, but uh, I still make sure that uh, when somebody's getting ready to adjust their scopes. Or even just when they get down to the line. They get down to the line and they see that they need to make a uh, site or scope adjustment. I make sure they write it down. Or I myself will write it on their hand. Because uh, as in Appleseed, as we all know, majority of folks have a 24-meter memory. You know, they'll remember what their site adjustment was until that foot crosses over the line. And it's like, gosh, dog, it, was, it, was it two left? them three down, or they don't remember. So I make sure that they always write it down. And then make sure to tell the person always to write down the adjustment that they're going to put onto their scope or onto their site so that they can subtract it or they can modify it if they need be. But the majority of folks are, are so hesitant to touch their sites that, uh, you know, I, I usually find it a little bit... Uh, a little bit humorous, but at the same time, I find it sad a lot of times. And a lot of people, <clears throat> uh, even when they get to actual distance. Now, sometimes I can see that because if you have your battle sight zero for your rifle, then then you're good to go from 100 to 400. But if you need to make a an exact shot, uh, and there's a lot of times when you don't have any, uh, you may not have a good way to, you may not have any reference for your holdover, for your hold off. So you need to understand how to make sight and scope adjustments, and you need to to break your conditioning on not doing it, and go ahead and put your put your fingers on the knobs and move it back and forth so that you so that you become less uneasy about doing it, and understand that it's not going to break the scope, it's not going to completely uh, you know turn your adjustments out of the universe, that uh, you're going to be able to uh, to track. Uh, your adjustments and you know and uh, and also uh one of the things that we do at events is we give folks say uh, an actual lesson on inches, minutes, and clicks, and that pertains to uh, to the impact of your rounds on the target on the actual paper, the measurements that you take of of your rounds, how far they are away from the paper,
0: and then
2: how to use that information. To make your side adjustments. We can give you a complete we're gonna actually give you a complete lesson on that. And uh and that by the time the lesson is over, hopefully everybody understands that uh uh the uh, the words of uh Paul Seely, which is when you walk up to your target, the first two things you ask yourself is uh where is my group and how big is my group? And uh, also what shape is my group? Oh there you go. Well that that's there's a lot of questions you can ask after one and two, yeah. but you gotta, yeah, I got to ask one and two first, and then uh, and then and then don't be afraid to make adjustments uh, to your scope. I'm really surprised that uh, that you said that Michael was hesitant about uh, about putting his fingers on his nose, but like I said, I see that quite often from from people all over, so so another it's not thing, that big of a surprise. Another
4: thing that Michael learned during that, I uh, I talk about you know we talk about inches, minutes, and clicks when we talk about adjusting scopes and, and where your group is. And I told him, we can do the, the math that far, but you also have to know your equipment and how far each click actually is. And so when he was making his adjustments, I asked him, um, you know, is that a, uh, did you pay a lot for that scope? And he had. It was a very nice scope, uh, name brand uh, that everyone would recognize, but I won't mention. And so I said, okay, go ahead and go do the uh, full amount of the number of clicks that we calculated and when he did it he had gone too far because even though it was an expensive scope his quarter minute clicks were more like uh a third minute click something like that right so uh even though it was a, a good scope a well-known manufacturer that he and it wasn't a, at all a bottom end scope he still had to calibrate his scope The the what his clicks did uh, what, how many minutes of angle each click moved. Um, and we don't co- talk about that very much at a regular Apple Seed, but I'll plug that uh, we do when we do Rifleman boot camps. And here in Colorado, we do uh, three-day boot camps. And one of the things that we spend a good number uh, amount of time in on is how do you calibrate your sights? How do you know for sure how far each click is going to move the point of impact?
2: Uh, right. Right. Yeah, well I I do tell them that during a, a regular weekend because I'll tell them that uh you that because a lot of folks don't know. They won't know either it's not written on there or they don't know or they have uh one of the you know, uh, assorted versions of uh of one of the rifles, barrel links or something, so they don't know the exact uh amount that it's going to move, whatever. I say, look, no sweat. Because you're going to find that out right now. You're going to uh, measure your group. You're going to measure the uh, how many minutes you are away. You're going to translate that into uh, uh, clicks. I mean, you're going to measure it. You're going to measure it in inches to your target. You're going to translate that into minutes, and then you're going to uh, use that to determine the number of clicks you're going to put in your rifle. You're going to shoot that data. You're going to go back, and you're going to measure it, and then that's going to tell you. What your actual uh, uh, what your actual calibration is for that? Your actual data is for your rifle. So don't sweat it. If you don't know what it is, you're going to learn it today here during your zero. <clears throat> and uh, that reminds me when you were talking about that because one of the things we also do at uh, at boot camps is we teach people how to make uh, use their front sights uh, for the folks that are using front sights. Uh, they're using iron sights. We teach them how to make how to use their front sights to make range estimations, right? We get them to uh, measure their front sight in minutes, and that way you know how many minutes uh your how how many minutes wide your front sight is. And then you can look out at distance, you can look at a known uh a known width. A target like a like a human silhouette or something like that. You can put your front sight up to it, and you can determine using your front sight by measuring the minutes how many minutes the human silhouette is. Measure it against your front sight, and use that to determine the actual distance from you to the target. So that is another uh, uh, another helpful thing that you can learn at a uh, at an apple seed. At a rifleman's boot camp because we usually don't teach that at uh, at a regular weekend because it takes too long because first we've got to uh, we've got to get the uh, uh, the uh, measuring devices out to you know put them up so the folks can measure you know it's the the V-shaped targets so they can measure their front sight at 25 meters. And you know get the data on it, find out how wide it is at uh, twenty five meters and then uh, uh once they know that then they can use it to determine their range at uh, uh, really at an any distance iszy are you, you there yeah Yes. Yeah. okay and we you're
3: quite spoted anything.
2: No, 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 you're right, you, I didn't. If anybody else wants to jump in on this chat, we'll be glad to have you. You can call in at 347-308-8790. 347-308-8790. We'll be glad to have you. Uh, so I get, uh, I guess I need to ask Kim if you busted out the, uh, the colonial uh woman costume
0: i did i wore it saturday morning for registration and then um after jim got into his introduction for a little while i went and changed <laughs> but i was in it for a while <laughs> it was hard to get up and down helping students in a dress a long dress I'm always tripping over it
2: <laughs> yeah did you ever uh did you uh is it still uh, uh a layered thing I've known people before who've had costumes who have just, uh, like, have sewn it all up to it's like a a one-zip-in thing, you know, Uh, instead of being put on in layers or whatever it's actually. You can just zip into it and zip out of it in one thing. Yours is still all individual layers, isn't it?
0: It's all individual layers. I think there's a total of nine different things that I have to tie to put on the outfit and things that I have to pin. Um, So it takes some time to get into and out of. And I wore all the layers because it was cool enough. When I go to the Expos, I remove some of the underlayers. It's just too hot.
2: <laughs> yeah. But it yeah. was a good thing I'll... in November. <laughs> right. And uh, let's see. What else? There was something else I was just getting ready to ask, and uh, and I got off on another tangent. Uh, well, anything else you guys can You uh, should uh, write, write it down well.
4: like you do your scope adjustments. Yeah.
2: Well, you know what? Uh, I do, but here's how I do it. I do it uh uh Paul Seely just put it into the chat here. That uh <laughs> that he told the uh, the shooters when they went down to check their targets, he told them the same thing. He said, Now remember, write down your uh uh write down your side adjustments so you'll remember them uh, you know, when you get back to your rifle. And the people they all nodded, uh, they all smiled and nodded, went over to their targets and wrote it on their targets. And uh That way they would remember it, right? And then they walked off. (laughs) That's that's about how how I'm doing today. I'm I'm riding it uh, for my target and then walking off. When is the next uh, uh, expo for you guys? Last time you all were on, we talked about the Arizona Expo. You said it was a little bit smaller than, uh, than the others had been so far, but you guys have another one coming up. When is that one?
0: As far as we know, the next one's in April and we have no idea where it's going to be. Really? It'll be Washington or Texas or Colorado or Pennsylvania. It's still up in
2: the air? January, <laughs> It'll March, be up in the air May. until
0: probably March.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> we do oh, have man. our um we do have our promotions coordinator working on trying to get us into the stock show in January. And it may be too late at this point. I'm sure they're booked up, but that has a um, attendance of about 650,000 people. So if you can get us in there, that would be grand, and that's in Denver.
2: Right. We were talking about that uh, a couple of weeks ago when you were on, because uh, that's uh, uh, that's really actually spot on for the the target audience that we're looking for, you know, is are those folks, you know, good uh, – Good solid uh, uh, Americans, with the majority of them more than probably being shooters and hunters and stuff like that, and they're families, and that's exactly they the crews that we would like to approach. So, and I'd like to remind folks that uh, that if you can get uh, uh, if you can work it to get yourselves, uh, you know, get your your uh gun show crews or uh, whatever kind of crew you have, like the Expo crews or the gun show crews, if you can work it to get yourself involved in something like that, then it's a perfect way to uh to to promote the program and that is to to do things like going to stock shows. I and mean, it sounds like uh it sounds like it's not uh, what we would want but it, it really actually is and uh i i'm i would really be uh i'm going to try and look and see if 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 i can't do that here too because there's there are stock shows all over the nation and i would really like to try uh having crews at uh, some of the different stock shows and seeing what kind of a return we got on that, because it sure seems to me like it would be a, a good bet. I mean, we know that we get a decent return now from gun shows and stuff. Now, we didn't used to, but that was back when nobody nobody knew what Appleseed was. Nobody knew who we were. And, uh, and you go somewhere and you tell them that you have a shooting organization, especially if you go to a gun show or something like that, uh, and, it, and it's no different than they going to Austin and 6th Street and telling the people there you've got a band. Well, they say, of course you do. Everybody has a band. And uh, when you go to the gun shows, of course everybody has a shooting organization that they want you to get involved with. But now uh, Appleseed, is not a household name, but it's, it's, a, it's a fairly well-known name, and most people have heard of it, uh, the program now at gun shows. I'm not saying anywhere else, but like at gun shows we'll have a a good number of people that have heard of it. So we get a lot better returns from that. But uh, I would still like to go to some of the other uh some of the other uh venues and see if we can't get uh, a good return on something like a stock show. So I'm hoping that you guys do get into it so that we can You guys can be the test monkeys and uh, let us know how it works out. Right.
0: Someone on the chat asked which one it was. It's the 107th National Western Stock Show in Denver, January 12th through 27th. Okay. And, uh, And then,
2: yeah, I see Paul was saying the Survival Preparedness Expo the uh, the group that uh Kim and Jim usually work with is a self reliance expo. And uh you know, Scott, uh Scout. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. On the New
4: York Times webpage in their magazine, just mm-hmm. this week, November sixteenth is the date, uh, they did an article on the Self Reliance Expo that we work with. And uh, they did they were very friendly to the uh, self-reliance expo so if anybody is interested in and in finding more about the people that we work with the title of the article is how to survive societal collapse in suburbia uh, by keith o'brien and it's a new york times magazine it's their uh, internet magazine So, i thought i'd plug them the the ron douglas is the fellow that uh, one of the guys that we work with and uh, they
2: they've got an article if anyone cares, right, right, and uh, and Scott and Ron, you uh, know, uh, I'm not going to be able to do this right now because I'm talking. But if you will, uh, if you get a free moment, if you can shoot me that article, or I'll try and Google it and uh, put it in the notes for the uh, for the radio show mm-hmm. so that people can take a look at it. Because, and I'm going to put there. I'm going to put their links and stuff up on the on the radio show blog too because uh, Ron and Scott do. They they go out of their way to help uh, Appleseed, and they have ever since it, it started. And they're just they're really great guys. Uh, I think. I mean, uh, uh, I think they're great guys, and I think that they do a a, a wonderful job of uh, of helping us to push the program forward. And uh, in fact, I don't know very many people who do anything quite like that.
4: Yep they're they're very good to Appleseed, and like you said, they're great people. They, they treat us very well.
2: Right, and
4: uh, and
2: so I'm just I'm kind of surprised that they haven't set the dates already for the next one, but. Uh, <laughs> that's sure. how they work
0: <laughs> uh,
2: I, yeah but then I was going to say but after I remember that's kind of how it, that's kind of how it was but you know at the same time I mean I'm sure that uh, I'm sure like anybody they're trying to keep uh, the there's a lot of factors that play into uh, whether something might be a success or not you know and, and it could be whatever things that are going on in the nation or uh Uh, You know, in a certain area, locale, something like that, that it would determine whether or not uh, some event was going to be uh, more successful, or some location or venue would be more more successful than another. Uh, And I'm sure that uh, that it being the end of 2012, that uh, all of the stuff that is supposed to be set up in 2013 is not on the books yet. That means that there's a lot of uh, unknowns that uh are uh, up in the air and stuff like that, so you want to make sure that uh that you're not uh committing yourself to a certain uh, location or something if it's gonna be uh, if it's not going to be an opportune venue so plus that's the way those guys run it so uh, well, what else do you guys do you guys have anything running for uh uh Colorado that we should know about? Oh, golly, no, we don't have anything going on in Colorado. <laughs>
4: we're, we're taking the rest of the year off. Um, what we do have that uh, I don't know if there's anybody in uh surrounding states, we're going to be doing a instructor boot camp in Colorado Springs or just outside Colorado Springs, um, January 5th and 6th, I believe. Sixth.
0: Yes, 5th and 6th.
4: And we're going to try something different we're going to do the first day as a normal um, instructor boot camp. The second day, we're all going out to the high-power range where we can shoot out to 600 yards. And it's Colorado, so it's probably going to be snowing and a strong wind, which is just going to make it great. And we're going to practice our instruction shooting a full-distance AQT. And because the apple seed is, Uh, we're getting a a reputation of kind of being a 22 for new shooters, 22s at 25 meters. And that's not at all what we are. And so next year, along with uh, other parts of the country, we're going to be doing some shoots out at full distance. Um, Instead of the the, the 25-meter with some long-distance shooting, it's going to be full uh, known-distance shooting. And so we're going to give the instructors an opportunity to work with uh, other instructors and as if they were students, and help them shoot at long distances, so that we're we have a good game going when we're working with actual students. So that's going to be a a little bit different. And then the other thing we're doing February second uh, is we're doing a one day. We're going to give this a try. One of the things we do at uh, at Seat is we talk about the stories that. Uh, what's happening, what happened at the beginning of the, our country on April 19th, 1775, and they're great stories, but especially new instructors, they know the uh, the content of the story, but they don't, aren't comfortable either telling the story or know how to tell what I would call a compelling or an interesting story. And so we're going to spend an afternoon just talking about how do you tell a good story, not what's the content of the story and what are the points we need to cover when we tell our stories, but how do we make it interesting so the students, uh, find it memorable and want to hear more of what we're saying rather than saying, thinking, Oh, that was just like being in school with the teacher reading out of a book. And so we've never done that before. Don't know how it's going to work. Don't even know how we're going to do it yet, but, uh, we've got those kind of things coming up, uh, while it's snowing here in Colorado. Uh, then we also have, uh, uh, a rifleman boot camp in gunnison at the end of april um and so that should be pretty cold then and we're also looking to have a, a winter seed shoot in gunnison if anybody knows about gunnison it's one of the coldest places in the country it regularly gets uh in the minus 40s uh, fahrenheit or centigrade for that matter and it uh, uh we're going to go out there and we're going to be as cold as we can be we're going to do it uh, hopefully do it in january which is their coldest month, and we're going to see if our equipment will function. They did it uh, not last year, I think, but the year before, and the warmest it got was minus 13. So we're going to go again and see if we can beat that
2: record. So we got those kind of things coming up. Well, that sounds great. And uh, what is your last uh, uh
0: apple seed weekend for December in Colorado? Um, it was the buyer's shoot. We're done for the year. And also that same weekend we had a shoot going in Pueblo.
2: Okay. Well I knew that you had multiple shoots that weekend. Uh and have you guys uh, uh have you guys had any snow yet? Barely.
4: Uh it was surprisingly warm. It finally got into the twenties uh this week. But uh it's hardly uh, no overcast even, which is a little bit unusual for us. We should have had lots of snow by now, but, uh, but, uh, we've not.
2: And that's what, and that was a factor in your planning because you figured you were going to get snow, right? Yes. Yep. Right. Well, I want to remind the the rest of the folks out there now, whenever you,
0: uh, when you're doing your long range
2: planning and stuff, of course you can't, if you're if someplace like in Colorado, especially uh Northern or Central Colorado, or then they, uh, uh, the elevated, uh, uh, western and northern sections, then you, you can't, you can't plan on there not being snow at this time of the year. And uh, usually it's a pretty decent amount of it. But for the rest of the nation, if you're not in a snow area, then, uh, then remember not to turn the machine off in the winter. And even you, uh, even you winter folks, uh, most of the folks uh, that have a pretty regular, uh, snow season, I mean, you guys are all, you guys are usually all set up for it anyway. You know, like, uh, the guys in Minnesota always tell me they, uh, they know it's coming and they know it's going to be there. So they just go ahead and plan on it and they, take their shovels out to the range or they tromp a line down out to the target line or something. But do your best not to uh, to uh, to shut down for the winter if you're going to have uh, decent weather. Uh, try and go ahead and keep your events running so that uh, so that apple seed doesn't have uh, dead months in it. Like I said, I know you guys in Colorado are usually expecting some pretty ferocious weather by this time of the year. I know that uh yes. well, that we're
4: gonna we're gonna have shoots January and February it's just december is uh slow for us, so uh we're we're gonna give them opportunities to come shoot with us in the snow, but uh we're
2: just not this month right, right, and uh and like I said, usually uh usually you guys have some pretty ferocious weather, I know. From uh, from my visits to Colorado and stuff, that uh, uh, I know a good portion of the of the states uh, the state shuts down uh, for a good portion of the year, as far as uh, roads and stuff like that. I'm still surprised. Uh, let's see. I was in Colorado a while back, and it was the summer, but you know, still up in the passes. Uh, I remember driving through one area where the road was open because the the snow clouds had been through there, uh, but the snow bank was about 15 feet high on either side of the vehicle, and uh, <laughs> you know so you're like driving through driving through a uh, a narrow tunnel through the snow, you know, in the summer, and uh, so I know that uh, you guys usually face some rough weather, but for a lot of the country. <clears throat> Uh, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, Texas, uh, uh, Arizona, stuff like that. We want to make sure that, you, that that we're not shutting the machine down uh, just because it's winter. Uh, so try and do your best to keep events running uh, uh, twelve months. So, uh, all right, and uh, I'm going to bring a, another. Uh, Caller on the line, real quick, with us. Ed,
1: welcome to the show. Oh, hey, Scott. I was just uh, on listening.
2: Yeah, I know. It said it said right there on your line. It said Ed just listening, and uh, I don't know. I just it just didn't sit right with me. So how are you doing, Ed?
4: Uh, I'm doing great. Um, I only had one question for you, for the folks that got on earlier. They said they're coming to Pennsylvania, but where are they coming to? You know. Are they going to Philly? Are they going to Harrisburg or you know or much preferably the Pittsburgh area?
2: Do you guys know where the what the venue you usually go to? They usually uh uh use in Philadelphia?
0: They haven't been there before, um, so it's a new oh, state okay. and we have no idea what city. Okay, yeah, yeah. we, we you just probably been,
2: heard we've just been told the force.
0: We've heard the four states, we don't know what order they're going to occur or the dates, anything.
2: Right. I was gonna, that's what I was gonna say I tell Ed is it uh, we just spent a good ten minutes talking about the fact that uh that uh, that they're that they're that uh, Ron and Scott are probably are usually pretty good at uh uh at playing that's pretty close to the chest. So you may not know for, for a good while. But I will tell you this. Is that uh, as soon as uh, Jimmy and Kim know, they will let us know. because they're they're good about that. Well, and, and
4: uh, I guess I would just like to point out is that you know the Pittsburgh area of the state might be more respect um, more um, uh, I'm, I'm, the, the word is failing me, but it might be more receptive. Not the word uh, to uh, to the whole preparedness thing than the eastern
2: half of the state is. Right. Well, is uh, Pennsylvania, is it, uh, is it kind of separated or partitioned that way? I mean, is there... Well, Pennsylvania is an interesting state. I mean,
4: um, you have the Appalachian Mountains that separate, you know, the the western from the eastern half, and uh, the western half is much, much, uh, much less similar to the Midwest in, you know, attitudes and culture. Um, whereas the eastern half of the state is very much East Coast, um, you know everything that you get from you know the, the the Virginia to
2: New York corridor, or you know as far as Boston. Right, and uh, you know I usually travel to Pennsylvania uh, every year, and I travel to just the uh, uh, the far western edge. You know I, I skirt the, the lake there and uh jump through the uh the uh, western portion of Pennsylvania of course I I think it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh it's a beautiful, beautiful uh uh section of the trip when we travel through it. But I know that uh, I know that a lot of times, you know, you'll have states uh you'll have certain areas of states that uh like here in Texas, uh you get to the center of the state, and you've got to Austin and a huge population there and there uh it's the same thing as uh central and upstate New York as opposed to new york city uh two different two different countries you know I always thought whenever I went to uh before I traveled much in New York. Before I'd ever talked to my my wife to be or anything like that, when I first started talking to her, uh, I'd never heard her voice or seen her or anything like that, and uh, and I just figured since she was a New Yorker that uh, in my mind I, she looked like Joan Jet, you know. She had like a leather jacket and had a cigarette hanging out of the corner of her mouth, and she you know was like uh, like like I figured she was going to be looking at me going, "What are you looking at?" you know. But the reality of it is is that uh the folks in central New York, uh, uh they really are no different than the folks right here in Texas. I mean, there's not a whole lot of difference to it. Matter of fact, the countryside is not that different, other than they get a lot more uh, precipitation. I mean I could you can almost I can almost close my eyes and get transported to central New York and open it back up, especially the area where she lived, and uh, and I would be in uh, you know farm and ranch area, you know barns and cattle and stuff like that, and uh, the people were you know they're just regular and regular good folks. Uh, so it was a it was a, a lot different than what I thought was the New York people were going to be.
4: Well, you know, Pennsylvania is a lot of the same way. Um, you know, we are referred to as Texas
2: of the East. I don't know if you've ever heard that. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's no, kind of weird, isn't it? But uh, I do, I do know from reading, uh, you know, from the history, uh, American Revolutionary War history, that uh, that the uh, the colonial soldiers, since they had, they weren't given any money. Uh, for all the years that they fought, the only thing that they were given, their reparation for it, was uh, they were awarded what was called the Western Lands, and that was the land in Pennsylvania, which to them was out west, way out west. And uh, now I don't remember the exact areas uh, of it, but you know it was a very harsh uh, and unforgiving land. You know that they described, especially when you read the stories of, uh, like uh, uh, the Whiskey Rebellion. Uh, if you read about the Whiskey Rebellion and stuff like that, about the uh, the American soldiers and their families being uh, being shoved out west by unscrupulous uh, speculators and stuff like that, and uh, being forced to uh, to eke out an existence in a, a hard scrabble western land in Pennsylvania and uh, not having any money, uh, having to turn to making uh to just filling whiskey in order to have something that they could barter, something they they could use to uh to to trade for for food and equipment and stuff like that. And then of course the federal government getting wind of it and realizing that uh that they couldn't have that. They couldn't have people using something besides US Treasury uh uh, money that could be taxed and uh, coming down on them but i always thought it was strange that they considered uh, that they always talked about we're going to go out west to pennsylvania
4: <laughs> well um your your reference is quite interesting to me because i live in the absolute heart of whiskey rebellion territory um, oh, really? the land yes the, the land that i own right now was originally awarded as a 3,000-acre grant to George Washington of,
1: uh, of, of
4: the Virginia Territory because Virginia and Pennsylvania claim the same territory. Right. So, um, you know, the, the the town that is closest to me was uh, considered by many scholars to be the heart of the Whiskey Rebellion. So.
2: <laughs> um
4: yeah, I, it, I, I kind of relate to everything you
2: just said. You well, know, I've always found that very interesting. I've spent a lot of time uh, studying it, and I've read several good books, uh, some fiction, some nonfiction. I read a uh, a fiction book, and it's titled The Whiskey Rebellion, and I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And, uh, and it concerned the uh, the stuff that I just mentioned. It concerned, uh, you know, it's a... Uh, uh, a historical fiction, and uh, it covered the way that the uh uh colonial soldiers the way they had been horribly mistreated now can you imagine fighting for seven or eight years, and then the war ends and but this whole time you've not been paid right you've been uh've been given script or specie and uh, which is worthless and uh, and you, were you, had or you were reward you reward like right. you give them notes that uh that nobody was going to take nobody in their right mind was going to take it but a lot of times the guys when they got through with the war they had to stand to stop somewhere they had to find a uh, some type of a usually a manual labor type job and work for a year or more in order to save enough money that they could try and make it back to their homes and uh, and then like i said a lot of the and to make it even worse the uh the speculators, of course, you know, they're always willing to take advantage of stuff. They went around and they bought up the notes and the uh the script and the specie from the uh the soldiers at uh at way below pennies on the dollar. Then they got together as a as a large lobbying uh faction, lobbied the American government to make good on the money that uh, they owed the soldiers, and they made a mint on it. And uh, yes,
4: and 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 I, I, I very much like to mention in respect to that that Alexander Hamilton was absolutely decisive in the federal government to make good on those notes. It's, yeah, uh, I mean, if you look at the early founders, uh, Alexander Hamilton is the one that I really don't
2: like. Right, and uh, and of course his. Uh, his role in uh in establishing the bank and uh uh the the story which we were building was all about the uh and the attempt by uh by the widow of one of the soldiers who'd been forced out west, who'd been uh lured out west and uh and mistreated and about her attempt to destroy Hamilton and uh, and the Federal Bank, and uh, and using these soldiers, the uh, the ex-soldiers and stuff, uh, the Western uh, riflemen uh, and whiskey distillers uh, as her method of of doing it. So it's a very great read. But all the history of that area is because here you have the end of the American Revolution, and right after it ends, we go into the very first. Uh, the very first uh, uh, trouble with the citizens uh, of the colonies with their government, and uh, uh, all of our all of our history, I think, is is very exciting and very interesting. But this this particular section of it has, has always appealed to me the the time period of the of the whiskey rebellion. <laughs> Uh, uh, Kim and Jim. Yes. Uh, I don't want to, I, I don't want to, I didn't want to just, uh, walk off and leave you guys hanging. Uh, oh, we're fine. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know that, uh, I know that you, uh, Kim, didn't you tell me that you have, uh, some direct, uh, do you have lineage back to the American Revolutionary War families?
0: I do. Um I had looked it up a co- couple of years ago through the ancestry.com site and found a couple, but I couldn't tell you what they were. Okay. Well, I thought yeah. that you and I talked about that. You know, I I when
2: you think about this, you you look at it uh we look at it as ancient history almost. You know, we have uh, Americans in particular have such short memories that we we can't even remember things that happened uh, 25 years ago. We're we can't even we don't. We're the majority of folks become uh, uh, lost in a you know confusing nebula uh, of history when they're even talking about uh, the first Gulf War, let alone Vietnam or Korea, World War II, are certainly not back to the uh, American Revolutionary War. But it was only a few generations ago.
0: You know, we got to remember
2: that there are some folks on this planet that have a lot uh, longer memories than Americans do. Uh, you take, for instance, some of the Middle Easterners who are still ready to punch you in the face over the Crusaders, uh, which was a couple of thousand years ago. Uh, well, actually, not a couple of thousand years ago, but a thousand years ago. Uh, and their memory to them, the Crusades were were uh, recent history. For a lot of Americans, things like the Revolutionary War is is ancient history that uh, that we don't have any understanding of. And that's the, one of the other things that uh, that I'm really thankful to the Appleseed Project for. And that is for is for giving me a uh, an anchor point in in history. And and helping me to reestablish and to re uh, uh, to to reconnect myself with uh, the history of our nation, and uh, and you look at the American Revolutionary War that time period in that history, and it's it's certainly uh, the the most important part of our history. It's the beginning. It's when when everybody who was involved uh with the American Revolution War, just about every one of them was a somebody and and caused a something
3: and uh, and it's the reason
2: that our nation has the the laws and the rules that it has today. Well I don't mean today exactly because we've got uh the the current situation and the founders vision our nation, seem to have split apart at uh, many junctions, and
0: uh, and we've
2: drifted a good ways away from it. But just because we have drifted a good ways away from it doesn't mean that we can't drift back to it, that we can't uh, grab a paddle and put a hand on the tiller and drive ourselves back to it. But the only way you're going to do that is to know where you're supposed to go. And the only way you're going to know how you're, where you're supposed to go is by understanding history by understanding what happened uh, at that time period in American history,
0: the reasons that it
2: happened, and and what the, the folks who were involved in it, what they hoped to achieve, what the founders hoped to achieve with their ideas, what the founders hoped to achieve with the Constitution. And uh, I certainly appreciate, and I thank Appleseed for that. And I know that that's one of the most important things that we do at an apple and that was so we do use a good bit of the time to reestablish establish uh, a lot of folks connections with the history and we we'll spent a good amount of time at an apple discussing uh the history hey listen let me ask you that we got about the well we have it 90 seconds as the english lady tells me uh but uh did uh did the any of the crew was was anybody uh, surprised at the history of the apple seed? Don't know from the film crew. I don't
4: know. We didn't get uh, didn't notice any reaction from them because they were filming.
2: Right. Okay. Listen, uh, we're gonna have to bust out of here, but uh, I want to thank you, Jim and Kim, for for giving me the, uh, the time this evening and uh, and spending spending it with me. I want I really want to thank you for uh for taking the uh taking the lead in this project and uh and carrying it to fruition and doing such a great job with it uh thanks god bless you guys and uh, i'm really looking forward to seeing how this turns out and uh, be sure and call a, uh call in and give us a, a, at least five or ten minutes uh, next week uh after you guys go to the event uh, this weekend okay all right okay we'll give me a call all right and thank you and Ed. thanks for uh Thank you for for answering whenever I uh whenever I call your name. All right. And uh, good night, Jim, Kim, good night. Ed. Good
1: night everybody else. And, uh